0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. How did John build his gospel around seven of Jesus's miracles? May help if we read John's statement of purpose for writing the gospel in John 20, 30 through thirty-one. Who would like to read that for us? John 20, 30 through 31. One interesting thing about John's writings is that in both John and in 1 John and in Revelation, he states the purpose of why he wrote, and that's kind of neat and helps us. Who would read for us? Okay, thank you, Dave. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples... <laughs> which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Thank you. How many of you are, if you're willing to admit it, old enough to remember that song that sometimes would be sung back in elementary school? School days, school days... Dear Old Golden Rule Days. I'd sing it for you, but I don't want to empty the class out before the time's up. <laughs> reading and writing and arithmetic. taught to the tune of the hickory stick. <laughs> um, but you've heard of reading, writing, and arithmetic. They're, in a sense, the three R's and considered very basic to study. Well, I believe the three R's or the three R's are very basic to an understanding of the structure of the Gospel of John. The first word is signs. Signs. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Now, this tells us that Jesus did many miracle signs, and they're all well-authenticated. They were done in the presence of his disciples. And out of all these well-authenticated signs, all of this outstanding resource material, John had the challenge of being selective. He wanted to pick just seven signs that he would build Jesus' public ministry around and give you a tremendous insight into who Jesus is. So... Many of the signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. The ones I've picked out among all those. These are written. And so that brings us to our first RE word, which is signs. The signs are the revelation of who Jesus is. RE, revelation. What do the signs do? They reveal. They reveal. Revelation. What should the reader's response be? Oh, Olivia, there's another R-E word I didn't think about before, uh, reader. anyway. But what should the reader's response be to this revelation? Believe. John's the gospel of belief. The word believe is found some 98 times in the gospel. And it was written that you might believe. So the signs give us the revelation, who Jesus is, what he came to do. What is the response to those signs? Believe. And when a person makes the right response and believes, what's the result? Life. That you might have life through his name. So it's good to think of John's gospel in terms of the three REs. Three key words are, thank you, Mike. Three key words are signs, believe, and life. Signs reveal who Jesus is. Belief is the response to that revelation. And when we believe the result is life or everlasting life. Now, when Paul thinks of salvation, and these are wonderfully complementary, not contradictory. When Paul thinks of salvation, he thinks largely in terms of righteousness. And so that's why the word uh, justify is found so much in Paul's writings to, to uh, uh, declare righteous. Oh, he can also think of salvation in terms of new life. If any man be in, oh, thank you. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 17. But Paul will normally think of righteousness, more, salvation more in terms of righteousness. John will think of salvation more in terms of life or eternal life. You'll find those words a lot in his writings. And um, he'll speak about being born again, uh, receiving new life uh, at the uh, beginning of our Christian life. And so John selects seven sign miracles out of all the miracles Jesus did, oh, plus The resurrection, of course, and the uh, uh, miraculous drought of fishes in the post-resurrection ministry. But he picks these seven signs and builds Jesus' public ministry around it in John 2 through 11. Beginning with the water turned to wine at Cana, to raising Lazarus from the dead at Bethany. And um, what are these seven miracle signs of Jesus' public ministry in John? Can you remember them? Water turned to wine is the first. Raising Lazarus. Raising Lazarus. Yes, healing the man at the uh, pool of Thessalon. Thank you, Brother Bill. Uh, And that's in Chapter 5. Okay, can you think of some others? Yes, sir. Healing the nobleman's son at Cana. Yes, healing the nobleman's son at Cana. Yes, ma'am. Okay, say that again, Cassandra. Oh, that is a wonderful miracle, but that's in Luke. Yeah, yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, feeding the 5,000. I think that's five. Yes, yes. I'll... Oh, that's in Matthew and Luke. That's a great one. Yes, walking on the water in John 6. And I think there's one more. Yes, healing the man born blind in John 9. These are the seven miracles he builds uh, his gospel. Henry Morris made what I think is a great statement. I'm going to just share it with you and uh, hope it's a blessing. And if you want to help me decipher it, that's good too. (laughs) Henry Morris said, The seven I am's in John affirm his deity. The seven signs confirm his deity. I like that. What's he mean the seven I am's affirm his deity? Because God said I am. Yes, you have seven great I am sayings. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And uh, they identify Christ as the great I am in terms of how he meets our need as only God can. All of these tie nicely into John 8:58. before Abraham was, I am. So they affirm his deity. The seven I am sayings affirm his deity. And then the seven signs confirm his deity. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God. They're proper evidence to establish that point and are worthy of your faith. Okay, well, thank you. Another question. Draw a contrast between the first miracle of Jesus' public ministry and the last, as recorded in the Gospel of John. Do you see an interesting contrast between the first miracle? of turning water into wine and the last miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. Do you see an interesting contrast? They're both great miracles. What I'm kind of thinking about is this. Jesus' first miracle in Cana of Galilee took place at a wedding. Life's, at his natural life's gladdest hour. At least it's supposed to be. I heard two ladies in our church back in North Carolina, back in the 90s, saying, we were at this wedding, and the bridesmaids were wearing black. And the one lady said to the other, that's an unusual color for a wedding. We usually think of that as being more fitting for a funeral. And the other lady said, well, maybe they knew what they were getting into. (laughs) But anyway, the first miracle took place at a wedding, life's gladdest hour. The last miracle took place at a funeral, life's saddest hour. In the words of John Phillips, he entered into both. He entered into both. And I don't care where you may be on the kaleidoscopic spectrum of your emotional experiences and life circumstances. A man gets up and says, I feel on top of the world. Good, but remember it revolves every 24 hours. (laughs) On the kaleidoscopic spectrum of your circumstances, there are all different kinds of emotions and situations. And Jesus wants to enter into them all. He wants you to invite him into your marriage, into your family, into your classroom, into your workplace, into your neighborhood, into your church, into the different relationships you have, your ministry. He wants to be there for you. He wants to make all the difference. He wants to dry all of your tears. And he wants to turn all of your water into wine. (laughs) He's there for us. Now, here's a question that I think I want to spend some more time on. Again, the problem with the notes is sometimes when you're trying to have discussion and you have the answers already down, it makes the discussion a little bit harder. But the question is, which four words, I'm talking about which four words in the Greek... Which four words are often used in the four Gospels to describe the miracles of our Lord? And I'd like to do a little word study with you. Which four words are found in the four Gospels? Now, John's favorite word for miracles is signs. But if you look at all four Gospels, what are the four words that the gospel writers like to use to describe Christ's miracles. The first one is works, works. And uh, I think a good example of that is John 14, 8 through 12, in the upper room. Would somebody like to read for us John 14, 8 through 12? Greek word is ergon. Uh, Yes, thank you. Thank you, Kenny. Say unto then, show us the Father. Believe us now, not, and I and to the Father and the Father in the, the, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father who is, that dwelleth in me, He doeth the words. Believe in. Thank you, brother. Thank you. What this seems to me is this. Just as a man goes out to work, Jesus did miracles on earth. You might say that miracles were part of his job description, given who he was as the long-awaited promised Messiah. He who was named at birth, wonderful, Isaiah 9 6. And that Hebrew word can be translated miraculous, secret. He who was named wonderful at birth naturally does wonders. He performed miracles naturally because his mission was supernatural. It's natural to a supernatural mission to be able to do miracles. The miracles he did were no harder for him to do than the works a carpenter or a mechanic does day after day. I think that's the idea. Now, that passage, it says that when he healed, virtue went out of him. I'm not quite sure all that that means. Uh, Does it mean that there was a certain giving of himself in every miracle he did? I can appreciate that, and that's spoken of in Luke 6. But I think they're called works because to Jesus they were second nature. He could do them effortlessly. Impossibility was his speciality, you might say. Another word is wonders, miracles, things that create a sense of wow. I'm amazed. One example of this is in John four forty-eight. If if we may have that read, please. John four forty-eight. If someone would read that for us, shorter passage. Thank you, Sandy. Except Except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So here, miracles are called wonders. Now. If I'm not mistaken, if I were, it would be no great surprise. It would only be the 275th time so far this month. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, the word wonders, though it's a great word, is never used by itself of miracles in the four Gospels. It's used like here, signs and wonders. I think the idea is even though it's great that miracles get our attention and create a sense of, wow, we're not to focus on the sensational. Miracles are connected with pointing the truth, how to respond to Christ, getting people's attention to gather around and hear Jesus' teaching. I think this ties in for what we said earlier in the Course was the main motive for miracles. To authenticate divine revelation the miracles got people's attention they showed that God was working that he was putting his divine power on this teaching and on this um, mission now while miracles were done naturally by Jesus works To those who observed the miracles, they were anything but natural. They were anything but ordinary. (laughs) They were wonders. Wow. And well, they should be. People were utterly astounded. As we see at the end of Mark 7, verse 37. And the multitudes were beyond measure. Um, They were beyond measure astounded, astonished. And they said, he maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. And they were just overwhelmed. Jesus' miracles really got people's attention. Another key word is the word signs. The miracles point to who he is. Why he came. How he can help poor lost sinners like you and me. A good example of the word sign for a miracle is found in John 2.11. If we may have someone read that for us, please. John 2.11. Yes, Ryan, thank you. Thank you. And the Greek word there in John 2.11 is the word for signs, that particular kind of miracle. We see how the miracles were a sign in the feeding of the five thousand. In the first part of the chapter, six one through fifteen, Jesus feeds the five thousand. Very impressive from a little lad's lunch of five barley loaves and two small fishes. But then a little later, after he walks on the water, from John 6, 22 through 71, the passage leads into what we call the bread of life discourse, where he says, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The flesh profiteth nothing. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And Peter got it. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. The miracle of feeding the 5,000 out of a little lad's lunch was a wonderful visual to point to an even greater spiritual truth, that Jesus is the bread of life of our eternal spirits. The miracles were also signs in the sense that they were harbingers of the kingdom age. When Jesus would perform a miracle, he was showing that he was the Messiah who someday when he returns to earth will set up a glorious kingdom. First the millennium and then the new heavens and earth in which healing will take place. Uh, There'll be no more death. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more curse. Uh, And uh, I think we see this in Isaiah 35. It's talking about as Messiah is bringing in the millennium and the Jewish people who are scattered to the far reaches of the world are being gathered into the fold of Israel to prepare to start the millennium. It'll be a wonderful time as they're being gathered together. The ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away as they travel that highway of holiness back to Palestine following their good shepherd. But in conjunction with that, we are told, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Then the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the layman shall leap as in heart and the tongue of the dumb sing. Wonderful miracles in connection with christ's second coming will take place but the fact that he did those miracles at his first coming was a wonderful indication that the kingdom of heaven was at hand was a wonderful indication that eternal life begins right now and uh, will be entered into more fully in the future a new age is breaking in christ's ministry will israel respond uh, it's an indication of what he will do on a larger scale when he comes back. They're harbingers of greater things to come. The fourth word is powers. And I think uh, I, I, in Matthew eleven twenty 20 through 24, this Greek word for power, it's the word dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. His miracles express divine power. And... Um, this word "dunamis" is translated "mighty work" in Matthew eleven twenty through twenty four. These powers are mighty works. Who would like to read for us Matthew eleven twenty through twenty four, as Jesus refers to his miracles as powers or mighty works? Would anyone like to read that? Matthew 11:20 20 through 24. In the back. Oh, oh, thank you. Is that Frank? Yes, sir, uh, okay. Thank you. Capernaum was the headquarters of Christ's greater Galilean ministry. Jesus said, "It was exalted to heaven." To have the miracles and the teaching of the Son of Man concentrated in your area was a great spiritual privilege. Paul talks about the gospel being the riches of the nations and the riches of the Gentiles in Romans eleven twelve. The greatest asset that any nation can ever have is not a lot of wealth or military might or political power. Those things have their place, but it's the treasure of the gospel. When Elijah ascended to heaven, Elijah said, Elisha said, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And the king of the northern kingdom said the same thing in chapter 13 of 2 Kings when Elisha uh, was about to die. Uh, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel, the horsemen thereof. The greatest glory of a nation and its greatest defense is not its military, as much as we appreciate the dedicated service, it's the gospel. It's the church. It's the freedom to get God's word out and to uh, be a one nation under God. And Capernaum was exalted to heaven. Had the works that Capernaum witnessed been done in wicked Sodom centuries earlier, they would have been so impressed that they would have repented and remained until this day. And Capernaum by and large, missed its great opportunity. Now, when we think of these mighty works or powers, I think we can break this down into four categories. The miracles show Christ's power over disasters, like a storm at sea, demons, like when he cast out devils, diseases and death. His power over disasters, demons, diseases, and death. Another question. Name the two times in the Gospels Jesus marveled. Name the two times in the Gospels Jesus marveled. Matthew 8, 10, 7. Okay, that's a good answer, Bob, Um, and it's a It's a big part of the answer. Uh, They are parallel passages, so I'm counting them as one time, but but they are parallel passages with the centurion's servant being healed and uh, the centurion believing Christ could just speak the word from a distance that would happen. Yes, that's one of them. It's, It's said that he marveled because he had not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. The Son of God marveled. There's another time that he marveled the Sy- woman? Uh, a- That's so close. He was thrilled with her faith. "O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee uh, even as thou wilt." He was thrilled with her faith, pastor, but I don't believe the word marveled" is used in connection with that. No, he, I, did, I think he did marvel. I think he did marvel. Yes, sir. Peter's announcement of him being the Messiah, Peter announced he was the Messiah. Oh, that's very good. I was thinking I was thinking of a miracle, but yes, he he was thrilled. The word marvel isn't used there, but he was thrilled. When Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God, in Matthew sixteen, sixteen he says in verse seventeen, uh, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar Jonah. For flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Jesus was rejoicing. Uh, but, but the word marvel doesn't use there, though. But that is a great tie-in. Y- yes, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. What about John 5, 28? Oh, oh. Um, when it says marvel not at this, uh, that the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and shall come forth. That does use the word marvel, But that's referring to Christ bringing about the great future resurrection. Um, He was telling others not to marvel there. That's a great verse. Uh, um, Marvel not at this, the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Uh, That is a great use of the word marvel. um, But... uh, it doesn't speak of Jesus marveling. He tells others not to marvel. But that is a great verse. Yes, ma'am. Mark 6, 6, of That's what I was thinking of. All of these other verses tie in nicely. Uh, he could not do many miracles there, except he laid his hand on a few sick folks. And he marveled at their unbelief. Mark 6, 5 and 6. Only two times is it recorded in the Gospels that Jesus himself marveled. He marveled at great faith, centurions, and he marveled at unbelief. How could they be so unbelieving of his fellow townspeople in Nazareth? And these are the only two times that Jesus marveled. And What made Jesus marvel was a man's great faith in what he could do. Or in his very unreasonable lack of faith in what he could do. The thing that impresses God, if I may generalize a little, the thing that impresses God the most about any person is how much that person is impressed with God. What impresses God the most about any person is not, for example, your intellect, or your brawn, or the size of your bank account, but how much you're taken up with God and the things of God. Jeremiah nine twenty-three and 24 puts it like this. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this. If you want to know what's worth getting really excited about, here it is, I'm going to tell you. That he understandeth and knoweth me. That I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight Seth, the Lord. Here's a question. Did Jesus ever work a miracle where there was no faith? At least apparently no faith. Did Jesus ever work a miracle where there was no faith? When he the sea, when they were in the boat? That is a good point. Um, it's not that maybe in their better, more reflective moments, they might not have believed that Jesus would step in and do it. But they panicked and said, Lord, carest thou not that we perish? And Jesus rebuked them and said, where is your faith? Or how is it that you have no faith? So I think that could tie in. Uh, if If there was faith, it was not nearly what it should be. Yes, ma'am. The of blind man. Um, you mean in John chapter 5? In Matthew. Oh. Uh, what is that? Matthew 9. Oh, oh, oh. I, I think they did have faith, Dot, because uh, Jesus asked them, Believe ye that I'm able to do this? And they said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then mm-hmm. touched he their eyes, and uh, they received sight. So I think in that case, uh, they did. Yes, ma'am. Casting out the demons, the, uh, demons, the legion. Uh, That is interesting. Like in Mark 5. The demons certainly believed Jesus could do it. But that, that poor man whose soul was ridden roughshod by the legion of demons. There was probably something in him that was drawing him to Jesus, though they were trying to pull him away. There may have been some kind of a faith crying out there under the surface uh, that Jesus honored. But uh, that's that's an interesting interesting thought. Yes, ma'am? How about Mary and Martha, the ones you thought would have believed, did not believe that Jesus could raise ladders, because he was already dead. They know he's going to come at the
1: end, Peter has to be raised up at the letter of day.
0: That's a good point. That's a good point. Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. They both said to him, but they did not seem to rise to the occasion of believing in the resurrection. Martha, Martha may have kind of broached that when she said, uh, but even now, I believe that whatever you ask of God, he'll do it for you. Uh, But but certainly the the faith was limited. Yes, ma'am. I'm thinking of a miracle, though, where there was no faith. How about when he walked on the water out to meet the You know, when he was preaching, and he sent the boat on out, and then he when Peter saw him, Oh, yeah. They were affrighted. They cried out. They thought it was a ghost. He had to comfort them and say, uh, be of good cheer in his eye, be not afraid. I, I think that um, there the miracle just kind of came upon them. And uh, then Peter said, Lord, if it's thou, bid me to walk upon the water. So um, I don't think it was that they didn't have any faith that he could do that, but they were kind of overwhelmed in the crisis. But certainly they could have used more faith. Peter had more faith than I think a lot of us when he walked on the water, but then when he saw the wind boisterous, uh, he cried out, Lord, save me. Uh, He took his eyes off of Jesus and put it on the circumstances. Yeah, that would certainly tie in. There, was un- there, was, there seemed to be wholesale unbelief, and, but he still did a few words. Yes, I, I think that uh, Nazareth was characterized by serious unbelief, and uh, he speaks uh, about a prophet having no honor except in his own home. Yeah. I was thinking, but what you say ties in great. I was thinking of when Jesus healed the high priest servant's ear in luke 23 peter cuts off the ear or part of the ear i think the greek word there is word for lobe and jesus just touches it and heals it i don't believe that that uh, high priest servant who came as part of of the team to arrest jesus uh maybe he did have some faith in his miraculous power was he heard reports of him and all but the uh he, it seems like he would have had very little, if any, faith. But Jesus still healed them, uh, And I guess I raise that question to make the point that Jesus can, if he wants to, heal when there's no faith or very little. But I want to really make the point that he loves to respond to faith. Yes, Dr. Coles. Um, I think Peter though did have to believe Jesus that the coin would be there when he went to do the fishing. Yeah, but I think it did certainly get Peter's attention. Yes, Mike. Um when the fig tree withered? Yeah, Peter calls his attention to that, then Jesus uses that as a uh, visual uh, uh, about if you. Have even a little faith, you could say, that this mountain. Yeah, uh, that, 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 that's a good point. Peter, Peter was over... Not that Peter didn't have any faith, but he was wondering how so, so quickly withered up at the roots. So that would tie in. Joyce? Um, when he said to her, Weep not, the widow of Nain's son. I believe he said that in such a way as to raise expectations. And yet I believe that she and everybody was still overwhelmed, yeah. I think the point I'd like to make is there are examples of Christ healing when there's little or no faith, but he loves to heal in response to faith, that's the other point I want to make I've given some references here faith is very very important I've given some references that show that faith is very important to the Lord Jesus when it comes to healing Um, for the sake of time would somebody read for us Mark 2 5 I'd like to read all the passages but maybe just touch on one or two dot thank you Son, my son, thy by sins be
1: forgiven.
0: Thank you. A paralytic was brought on a pallet, let down through the roof. Jesus would heal him, but first he forgave his sins. But it says when he saw their faith. Who's the there? The four men and four Yes, that must include the four men who braved all kinds of obstacles and inconvenience to get that man in the presence of Jesus. And very possibly, hopefully, included the faith of the man himself, too. That's their faith. That's interesting. Um, Let's uh, look at another passage, Mark 9, 20 through 24. This is the healing of the uh, demon possessed epileptic boy. Uh, Elva, would you read that for us? It's Mark 9, 20 through 24. said unto him if thou canst believe all things are possible to him that believeth." and straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears lord i believe help thou mine unbelief it's a great passage jesus as we would say put the ball on the man's court in desperation he said this is our plight if you can do anything Have mercy on us and help us. And Jesus responds, if you can believe. It's not a question of my ability. It's a question of your faith in my ability. If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And the father did believe, but he knew he should trust more. And so he cries out with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. I wonder what expressed greater faith. Lord, I believe up to a point. But I also believe that you can help me with my unbelief so I can believe better than I do. John the Baptist sent two of his disciples in Matthew 11 to Jesus as he was struggling with doubt. And said, art thou he that should come or look we for another? And Jesus encouraged his faith. We need to take our doubts about Jesus to Jesus. We need to believe in him, but we also need to trust him to help us with our unbelief and increase our faith so we can believe more and better. And uh, God's able to handle your honest struggles and your doubts and uh, your fears and uh, your lack of answers. John the Baptist took his doubts about Jesus to Jesus and got a wonderful answer. And so we need to confess, Lord, I believe, but I need to believe more than I do. Help thou mine unbelief. Sometimes we might believe less than we realize, like in John 17, John 16, at a very critical time in Jesus' ministry. Jesus speaks to them about going back to heaven to the Father after he came from the Father and they said, now, Lord, you're speaking plainly and no more longer in parables. Now we believe. And Jesus searchingly asked them, because he knew they were going to desert him that very night. He said, do you really believe the hour is coming when all of you will forsake me and I shall be alone? Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Do you really believe like you think you do? You really don't believe like you think you do. You'll all forsake me tonight. But I've overcome the world, and in me you'll have peace, and eventually your faith will be stronger and be able to stand tests like this in the future. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. You know, in John 2.11 it says, This beginning of miracles did Jesus and Cain of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Question. I thought his disciples already believed on him. They came to him in chapter 1. They began to follow him. And yet it says they believed on him. One commentator says, every new challenge to faith. Every new victory of faith, in a sense, makes our previous faith, by comparison, look like unbelief. And in that sense, they believed on him. Not that they hadn't believed already, but they believed more deeply and more fully and more truly. And uh, I'm not exactly sure what that expression in Romans 1.17 means, from faith to faith. In the book I mentioned to you on the Apostolic Masterpiece, we list six possibilities for what that means. But... It could mean that the Christian life is a life of faith from start to finish. And uh, we need to continue to grow from faith to faith, even as God gives us grace upon grace. And as we, beholding us in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. I have a very challenging question to start off with next week. I'd like you to think about it. Why did Jesus sometimes tell those he healed not to tell about it? Why did Jesus sometimes tell those he healed, don't tell anybody? We'll start with that next week. And thanks so much for being part of the class tonight. Thank you for listening.